What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. Today, we sit down with Dr. Chief Kane Nixon, and we talk about his titles, and we talk about how important education is. We talk about leadership, uh, all these things, and so much more. Please enjoy. Kane Nixon, welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to sit down with you in your beautiful home up here in, in <laughs> yeah, uh, the north way, the way northwest valley in yes. Peoria. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the stuff that you're doing with speaking and and leadership stuff that you're doing. And but before we dive into that, let's talk about about you a little bit. Who is Kane Nixon? And, where do you come from? Yeah. Uh, so thanks for having me uh, on. I'm excited to be on here and get to talk with you. Um, so who who am I? Um, so I didn't mean to start with such a deep existential yeah, question. Yeah, I've got to really <laughs> go way back. Uh, no, so uh, l- let's go back. I was uh, born in Nebraska, uh, moved to Colorado when I was about five and I was raised there. Then I moved to Arizona. What part uh, of Colorado? So I, I grew up in Loveland, Colorado, just south of Fort Collins. Okay. About an hour north of Denver. It was a really good city to be, to come up in. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, I love small me some, town. I love me some Colorado. Yeah. There, it was, you know, four seasons. Uh, it was, it was, it was a good place to grow up. The, uh, I was raised by a single mom. Um, you know, we, we didn't have much when I was growing up. She, uh, my mom had me when she was 20. So we, we kind of grew up together and she, um, she showed me what hard work was and how to really push yourself and, and, you know, be successful. So, you know, she's taken working multiple jobs, dealing with me, of course. And then, uh, which, you <laughs> her know, hardest job. Ever. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, taking night classes, you know, she ended up getting, uh, her associate's degree, bachelor's degree in, in, uh, in political science. And then she went on to get an MBA. So she definitely showed me what hard work is and how to, how to be successful. So a lot of people ask where I get my work ethic from. And it's, it's no doubt from, you know, watching my mom do what she did. So, um, like I said, grew up in, in Colorado and I started in the fire service when I was 16, um, as a student firefighter, it's, uh, like a high school volunteer program that they had there that, that was just kicking off. And so I got to, you know, train with the, the firefighters run calls. Um, we didn't do interior firefighting, but we were, we were pretty active in, in that world. So it was really good early exposure for me. Um, that wasn't my plan the whole time, right? What kind of have stuff would they have you doing? Like out throwing yeah. ladders and yeah. Yeah. So doing a lot tarps of and stuff like that. Yeah. Doing a lot of training, uh, learning the job. And then when, when calls would come, you know, we were, um, we were an extra set of hands and able to do, do things on calls. So the, the program has really evolved since, since I was there, but, um, it was a good first glimpse at the fire service. So, 
Yeah. Um, I was actually testing for fire departments my senior year of high school um, to, to get on, and, and I did. And I got hired in Vail right after I graduated high school. So um, I worked in Vail, Colorado as a resident firefighter. So I lived in the fire station. Oh, wow. 24-7? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, some people go to college. I, I went to the academy and, and then lived in a firehouse. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. Uh, but one of the things I, I quickly realized is that uh, firefighting in the snow in the mountains yeah. is is not for me. So I <laughs> I wanted to so I went from you know twenty below to one hundred and twenty, and I came to Arizona. Yeah. Okay. So, Before you move off of that though, because I have yeah. no experience with weather like that so what are some of the things what are the little things that you'd have to do that you wouldn't think of yeah in the valley yeah that's so it's funny because when um when i came to arizona i would i was driving down the street and i kept seeing all these blue little <laughs> reflectors in the road and i i was like what are these what is this and somebody told me it's a hydrant marker and I didn't, you know, this was right when I moved here. I right. Like, oh, that's, and now you can't not really see them. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Hydrant, hydrant. yeah. <laughs> and, but you couldn't have that in Colorado. The snow plows would just tear them right yeah, off the road. Tear them yeah. up. So we actually in Vail, we had these, they were about uh, 10 foot high poles uh, on a spring with an orange flag. And that was our hydrant marker because when the snow plows would come down the road, They'd create snow berms and it would bury our hydrants. So we would actually, up on top of the hose bed, we had a metal coal shovel uh -huh. and a hydrant bag, a big canvas bag with our couplings. And yeah, there's a couple other things that I'll tell you that were in the bag for a reason. <clears throat> so you jump off, drop your bag, and you start digging. You know, you, you start going after the snow berm to get to your plug. Wow. Yeah. And then... Uh, a few other things in the in the hydrant bag were uh, a, a pretty substantial uh, mallet, rubber mallet, uh -huh. and uh, some fusees, some road flares. Uh -huh. So once you get your plug exposed, you put, thought put out. your wrench on the <laughs> yeah on the cap, and then strike your fusees and start thawing out the the metal yeah. uh, on you know on the on the hydrant, <laughs> and then you put the mallet. You start going to town on the hydrant wrench yeah. to pop the the cap off the steamer. Nice. So then, you know, you, you make your connection and do your best to not break the hydrant stem because it's cold. You know, everything's below the frost line. So right. you, they're all dry hydrants. But um, s some other things that we had to do were, you know, we wouldn't have water in our, our pumpers for, for a few months at a time just because. Oh, yeah. You keep it. Otherwise, you'd freeze the seals. Yeah, right. So. A lot of the times you're, you know, your first five minutes on a fire, you're, you're waiting on that hydrant water. All so right. just a different world, different yeah. tactics, definitely yeah. different construction and terrain. Um, and so when I started to look around, like, you know, where do I want to be a, a, a career firefighter? Is it Colorado? Is, is it, uh, you know, where, um, yeah. you know, the Phoenix Valley and everything that that the automatic aid system offers. It was just very clear for the progressive training, the focus on safety, um, everything that Brunacini had, had accomplished with Phoenix fire and then the automatic aid system, you know, coming together. I, I just knew that's where I need to be. Yeah. So in 2006, I packed up and came down here. Yeah. Did you come down here with a job in hand or no, 
no. So I, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was 21. So no, no advance, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just, just pack the U-Haul and come on down. So, uh, a buddy of mine, his dad lived here. And, uh, so he said he owned a construction company. So I at least had income, uh, Nice. Doing small tasks and, he, and jobs yeah, there. Some labor. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Come like, on now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, strong back. <laughs> right. Yeah. For a period of time. Yeah, right. And <clears throat> so I immediately, there was no reciprocity. I had to transfer all my certs over and, oh, yeah. and go through that process. But EMT and in Colorado, you're a firefighter one. And then you have to have a specific amount of time on to become a firefighter two. Right. And here in, in Arizona, we do the firefighter one and two. Right. So I jumped into that one and two academy with Glendale Community College, and um, the rest is history. I I'm, <laughs> I met a couple of folks in that academy that that got me hooked up with Sun City West Fire Department uh, Fire District, which is where I I started. Yeah. So, so I it's funny. So my alma mater is Sun City West, yep. and I started there in '98. Worked there uh, till early uh, 2002. Yeah. And so. It's funny because I remember hearing, you know, I kept my finger on the pulse. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I saw your name pop up somewhere. I'm like, who's that guy? Yeah. Showed up well after I, you know, a little bit after I left. That's kind of a funny, small world. Yeah, that was in 2006. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's been a riot ever since. It's a great, great department, great people. Um, I'm really happy that that I landed there. Yeah. It's good. So, you know, clearly, you know. I don't know if I said this already, but you're, I said chief, you're mm-hmm. deputy chief at mm-hmm. this point. Yep. And so you went through the, you know, the wickets on the way up the the pipeline. Did you, what were some of the positions you held? Did you? Yeah. So I, I, I started in Sun City West on the ambulance oh, okay. uh, while well, I was in the one and two Academy. Oh, okay. uh, a couple of the, my, my peers, they were like, Hey, we're, we're testing for, for EMTs. And for me, I was like, well, I'm doing construction in, in monsoon season of Phoenix, or I could, you know, maybe potentially become an EMT on an ambulance. I'll, I'll go that route. Yeah. I think um, a thousand ways better to spend my yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a culture shock, um, and not just you know culture shock, but just the the weather was. I, I moved here July first yeah. yeah. of two thousand six. Yeah, I threw a hammer the first summer that I was here yeah. when I got out of the Marine Corps, and I was tough as nails as you know sure. when I was twenty four years old. Sure. But I but that first summer I was like, this is brutal. I had never experienced anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's brutal. Man. <clears throat> so it was. Uh, so you got out. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, I got, got hired with Sun City West EMS in November, uh, right before the one and two finished. And then I was testing with, you know, multiple fire departments throughout that, that time. And that spring, uh, Sun City West was one of the departments that I was testing with for firefighter and, and they called. So, right on. Uh, so then after that, uh, went from an EMT on an ambulance to a PLS firefighter, to an ALS firefighter, acting engineer. Uh, I never got promoted to engineer. Funny story about that is I tested twice and got uh, third place on both lists, and that really bothered me, <laughs> just because it, um, I you know I, I should have performed better. I, there were things that I could have done better, and so it was it was a great learning experience for me. Yeah. I got I got plenty of seat time driving and pumping, so that was good. I I and I solely I was an engineer for. Four and a half years. I really value that experience, right? In mm-hmm. whether you're made or not, yeah. but just being in that that front left seat, that's a very interesting and, and, and very 
illuminating perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. You see the call from a different perspective mm-hmm. going from one, just the back seat to front seat, but um, getting drive time is, is a big deal because you're, it's that you're almost the liaison between the company officer and the back seat. Sure. And you're, you see things from a different perspective. Uh, you need to understand the needs of the back seat, but you need to be able to facilitate your company officers, you know, requests and be, be ready to, to act when he, when, or he, when he or she needs you to act. So it's, it, I really enjoyed that place. A lot of people say, you know, that's the best job in the department. Is it is the, definitely a is good engineer. Job. Yeah. Although I will say this at three in the morning when the whole entire crew is asleep on the rig and you're driving back from a yeah, call, I'm like, right. this is bullshit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. quiet. Nobody's, everyone's in yeah. there snoring and I'm trying to, you know, I'm yeah, trying to drive back. it back by myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So but I used to think of myself as the XO. Okay. Right? Cause when the captain was out, if they had yeah. to leave or something happened yeah. or whatever, it, it's your, it's your rig. It's your crew. Yeah. At least it's how I looked at it. Absolutely. And I took that responsibility seriously. There is a lot of responsibility there and you mm-hmm. do need to take it serious. The, um, it, which again is a great, I think it's a, a great transitional rank, uh, it, whether you want to have your whole career there or mm-hmm. if, if on your way to company officer, you, you just learn a different side of, of the organization, but really the responsibilities of, of the crew and what's yeah. going on. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I did it and got those reps. Yeah. And then I was, uh, promoted to captain. I don't know what year, but, um, let's see, that would have been probably 2012, I think. Um, so after that, uh, I was a captain for about five years, I think. And uh, maybe maybe six, and then I promoted to division chief. Um, and during that time as a captain, <clears throat> I, you know, did a lot of things for the organization and a lot of things in the region. And the then I became a battalion safety officer, which you know the fit uh, driving the chief around, and that lasted for me driving was about three months before the chief, I showed up one day and my turnouts were on the other side of the truck. And so, which was fantastic. I got to work with. Is some that because really you didn't like the way you drive? I, that might've been it. Yeah. <laughs> Too slow, probably. Um, so well, all along this journey. So <clears throat> I, in the beginning of the podcast, I called you doctor. Yeah. Right. You've got yeah. your, your Ed D. Uh-huh. And so all, so I'm assuming all along this while you're going to school and yes, what, prompted you to do that because i know a lot of folks come into the fire service like i'm this is good i'm a firefighter now and i don't need to go do anything else and and so what prompted you to go to school yeah so uh great question the the requirements at my fire district we're a fire authority we uh we have to have an associate's degree uh at a minimum to test for captain so Mm. as i was going through you know paramedic school as a firefighter and then getting my all my qualifications to drive you're amassing and accumulating these college credits and so i was able to get a a degree in paramedicine and associates and then also a degree in fire science and because i knew i wanted to be a company officer and that that was just happening um and then it was in about 2012 i really started to have some pretty serious back problems uh herniated discs and the, I, I did everything from, you know, rehab to yeah. injections, you know, soft tissue, everything that I could do. 
um, physical therapy. Nothing was was quite cutting it. So it just got to the point where very clearly I I had to have surgery. So they they did a dual laminectomy where they they go in and take the herniated portions of the discs out at L4, L5, and L5-S1. And three days before my operation, I'm I'm in the pre-op consult with the, the surgeon and he's going through my chart and he's like, oh, you're a firefighter. Hmm. And he keeps flipping yeah. through and I'm Is like, that oh, going to be a problem? Time out. Yeah. Can we go back to the, the, that question? And also, is this the first time you've seen my chart? You know, yeah, so right. what, we, uh, why are you so surprised? What's yeah. Happening yeah. Right and, but he's, he said, you know, this is a pretty significant injury at yeah. multiple levels for someone your age. I, I was 28 at the mm-hmm. time. And, and I said, okay. And, and he's like, I'm confident you're young, you're fit. We'll get you back on the truck. But, um, are you the guy that like does all the hard work? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to become a captain at the same time, getting re- you know, ready for the test. And, uh, he's like, so is there any way you can just like, get out of that role and like promote. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. You know, yeah, I can't just so easy. <laughs> yeah. Don't just walk into the chief's office and go, I'm ready. Yeah. You know? So I said, yeah, I, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm going to try to you know promote to company officer. And he's like, yeah, you, you need to. And do you have a college education? And my response was, I've got two associates degrees. <laughs> Next questions, doctor. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like, uh, well, no, like, do you have a, like a four-year degree, like a real degree. Yeah, well, and yeah, that's kind of how it felt that well, he well, was yeah. saying. Right? And <clears throat> so, I, uh, I said no, I, I don't. He's like, you need to go back to school because yeah. there's a, there is a chance this doesn't go well for you. Like yeah. you, you're gonna have to have another option. So, I disagreed at, strongly. At what, well, say, but, at what point are you like feeling the little career dissipation yeah, right in the corner of your eye, a little right. bit of panic setting in? Uh, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And really, you know, I live in, on the West side of the Valley and I, I, this appointment was on the East side. So it was about an hour drive home. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've at home, I've got a wife, I've got a six month old, I got a six year old at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and this is what I know, right? Like I told you before, I've, I've been doing this since I was 16 and, and very passionate about it. I, um, you know, the fire family, yeah. is a real thing to me. Yeah. Like I said, I was an only child raised by a single mom. The The fire department, these are my big brothers, big sisters, uncles, aunts, right? These are, this is my family. Yeah. And especially coming from Colorado to Arizona, these people, they mean a lot to me. So just to have a, a surgeon say, hey, yeah, this might not work. Consider something else. It was, it was kind of shocking. So talked to my wife and said, yeah, apparently I need a bachelor's degree. So... I should do that. I got shamed today. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which was a good thing. It was a good kind of kick in the pants. And uh, so I literally, while recovering from back surgery, laying on my back with a brace on, I'm enrolling in online classes yeah. and doing everything I had to do to get transferred up to NAU. I transferred to Northern Arizona and got uh, my bachelor's degree in public administration and emergency management. And that was enlightening because... At that point in my age and career, I thought I had pretty much everything figured out, mm. right? So <clears throat> I, I figured out I didn't. At that point in where I was, I didn't know what I didn't know. Sure. Um, and it was a great opportunity for me to, to learn more. And I also learned that 
in the real world, a lot of people have, you know, outside of the fire service, a lot of people have bachelor's degrees and, and don't, you know, don't have the, the luxuries that we have in the fire service as far as paying benefits and security. So I quickly realized, man, if I, if I need to, if I need to exit, I probably need a master's degree because that will get me to a certain level of, um, stability and pay outside of the fire service that, that can protect my family. Yeah. And also internally in the fire service, you know, a master's degree is kind of the expectation for a senior chief officer. So knock it out. And so I did, I actually, I graduated in 2015 with a bachelor's degree and, uh, I just went all in and did uh, 30 credits across one year. And I graduated in 2016 with a master's degree. So, uh, it was, it was a lot to, to do, but it was definitely worth it. So right around that time, uh, you know, still working and, uh, working on promoting and my career. And then I actually had a, a, just a fantastic conversation after I graduated with my master's degree with, uh, one of the, one of the senior folks at Glendale community college where I teach there. And I, I finished the master's. I was very excited and he has his doctorate and he's like, so, you know, are, are you going to do it? What do you think? And it's like, man, no, I like, there's just pretty like, happy. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just finished like I, yeah. the weights off my shoulders. Right. And at the time I was, I'm the director of firefighter fitness and conditioning there. So, um, pretty heavily involved in that program. And he's like, so, you know, tell me why, why you don't want to do that now? Like at this point. And I said, well, I just got done with a master's degree. I want to, I'm going to take five years off. I want to, you know, hang out with my kids and, uh, go on vacations with the family and just do some other things. And, and in five years, I'll, I'll probably come back and do it. And he's like, so you're the fitness guy, right? Like, yeah. He's like, uh, so let's say you're in the best shape of your life. You've never been more fit. Would you stop working out, take five years off, and then go try out for the Olympics? <laughs> I was like, no, that's pretty dumb. He's like, that's what you just said. You're, you've never been more ready. You're, you're in the zone. You're used to doing it. You, you need to go now. So, so I did. And four and a half years later, I was done. So, yeah, well, that's the, the PhD is a pretty significant yeah. step, right? Yeah. Or Ed D, whatever, yeah, you, whatever. Yeah. All yeah, the yeah. same. Too. Yeah. The, yep. Right. What was the, uh, what was the biggest challenge for you in that process? So timing, definitely. I, I really, I had a phenomenal cohort of peers around me. We really, uh, supported each other. I'm, I made some just phenomenal friends. Um, doing that amount of work, um, on top of, you know, my normal workload and managing the family, it was a challenge. So it just yeah. really required me to be very disciplined with my time, my schedule, and, uh, just not come off of that. So the first two years was coursework. Right. You, you're doing, uh, you know, multiple classes a semester, Every summer we had to be on campus at Northern Arizona University. So it was kind of a nice built-in break. It's 120 down here in the Valley and I'm going to Flagstaff. Uh, so we were up there for the weekends 
and uh, but the first two years, like I said, is coursework, and then after that is uh, your dissertation, where you identify a topic yeah. uh, that you want to research and contribute to, and uh, that was in August of 2019 is when I I started. Uh, my that process of identifying that research topic yeah. and I don't know if you're familiar but in the spring of 2020 um, there's this virus <laughs> that hit uh, I might have heard something about yeah that. so uh, writing a dissertation through a global pandemic was was pretty tough when you're I would you know the okay, planning chief for stupid. a fire department I would well yeah I could see there's some distractions there I would, yeah <laughs> part yeah. of me would think, uh, you know, the world shuts down. What are you going to do? Sit at your computer and write? Yeah. And <laughs> so for a lot of my peers in my cohort, they were like, this is, you know, I'm working from home. I'm getting so much done. Right. And I'm like, I was the, at the time I was a planning chief, uh, division chief with, with the fire authority. And, uh, we were working, you know, every day, yeah. all day, just wow. to make sure that we were doing everything we could for our, our people, our customers, trying to stay ahead of the research and yeah, and everything that was going on. And the good thing is I had some really good mentors in my life at the time and, and they were, uh, they wouldn't let me stop or quit. So, uh, you know, sometimes there were weeks I didn't do anything, didn't do any reading or writing. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd get back in and so get engaged. What, what did so. you land on? What's your topic? Yeah. So uh, my my research topic is Arizona Chief Fire Officer's Opinions Regarding Firefighter Behavioral Health Problems, the Causes and Help Approaches. So it's essentially what I did is I, I surveyed um, my, my final number that I could use in the study was 110 chief officers across the state of Arizona. And we compared, we did a correlational study with their four career factors and then took, we gave them a survey or I gave them a survey that uh, categorized them into psychological subscales. So those four career factors were their level of education, their number of years in the fire service, their fire department's budget size and their fire department's roster size. Mm. So those career factors, I was me trying to measure if they impacted in any way, positive or negative, the chief officer's uh, opinion of firefighter beha behavioral health problems, mm -hmm. what causes them, and then what could effectively help them. So it was, uh, it took a, a long time and a lot of research and, uh, the cool thing about it is we actually got like statistically significant results out of it. So we can replicate that study, you know, elsewhere. If, if need be, we can do it in specific agencies to help them understand their yeah. chief officers. Uh, a lot of people are, are researching the firefighters, right? The, the folks with, you know, these circumstances. Right. Well, and you would think that one, you know, one of the triggers is I have to recognize I have a problem, right? Yeah. Me, the firefighter, and then I have to go get help. Yeah. But an administrator can facilitate those totally. programs fiscally. Yep. And if there's a, if they're just like it's not a problem, well, you now you have a run where you're not going to get the services that yeah. the firefighters need necessarily. You're you're nailing it because, so 
tragically in uh, 2019, we had a firefighter suicide in my fire department. And I was a union trustee at the time. Uh, I was a captain. This is before I promoted to chief. And the, uh, you know, we did everything we, we could uh, to take care of the family and, and the members in, in the moment and um, try to just get through that process. And then we were left to figure out, okay, you know, why did this happen and, and how do we avoid it from happening again? And is that, you know, possible? And this is in 2019. So uh, in the, in the summer and at the time, the, you know, firefighter behavioral health was, was a thing. People were paying attention to it. Some departments were, were actually starting to implement programs. You know, this is four years ago, but yeah. now it's a very different circumstance where we're all paying attention to it and, and right. aware and, and trying to do something about it. At the time, in 2019, I, I was trying to figure out why are we not doing something about this right now? Yeah. Why, what is our plan? What is our goals? How are we going to make sure this doesn't happen again? And it took, in my opinion, longer than it should have. So I wanted to understand why. And at the, that fall, you know, Hey, you got to figure out what you want to research to become a doctor. Right. And it was like, it just all, <clears throat> all came together. Like I need my, my degrees in, uh, educational leadership. So rather than try to I'm not a psychologist rather than try to study the causes of the firefighters behavioral health problems, which we can get into, but, and there's a lot of really great feel, research around I, that. I feel like that's pretty well documented. Though, yeah. There's a lot well of work happening about that. But yeah. for me, I was really frustrated. Why, why do some chiefs make this such a priority and dedicate so much time and energy and funding to it? And some don't, right. is it intentional? Is right. it, is it not, you know, right. what, what is, what are the factors that impact this? Well, so I want to know what the results were. What did you, what did you, what's your yeah. basic findings? So we, I had three statistically significant findings and then a fourth that, that I just like to call out. But uh, the first one is that the, the more, uh, Ross, the more firefighters a fire department has, the bigger of the agency, right? So the, the bigger the roster size, those chief officers fell into the cognitive psychological subscale. And what that means is that cognitive psychology means that you manage uh, things or stress or um, circumstances in an algorithmic way that's based off of stimulus. So a lot like a computer, you know, it's, it's very algorithmic. If this, then that. So it was interesting that the bigger the department gets, the more almost robotic or algorithmic chief mm. officers are making decisions around firefighter behavioral health. Mm. And anecdotally, I, I call out that it's really hard to know your people when you have 2000 firefighters. Right. Um, and I had, I had chief officers from, you know, departments with less than 10 firefighters all the way up to the city of Phoenix, right? The city, I, I mean, almost, we had a really great cross section of the state for chief officers. So it was uh, statistically significant that the bigger the fire department, 
the more algorithmic these chief officers make decisions around this topic, firefighter mm -hmm. behavioral health, both the causes and what they think could help them. So the the takeaway there is you, you need to put in effort to, to not lose those personal connections as your departments grow. Or if you're part of a large agency, you're going to have to put in more effort to make those personal connections. Mm -hmm. The second statistically significant finding was that uh, the more years of service, the longer a chief officer had been on, they fell into the organic psychological subscale. And the thing that's unique about that is that organic psychology describes the subject or the, in this case, the firefighter as an organism, and they, they can be impacted by internal and external, uh, you know, variables that, that change their, their psychology. And one of them is trauma. Mm. And some of this has to do with maybe the chemical imbalances in the body, which a lot of the times firefighters are doing to themselves, right? Whether it's sleep disruption, um, substance abuse, poor coping mechanisms, you know, those all have chemical consequences on the body. So the, the mo one thing that really just stood out to me was <clears throat> there's a, an assumption by some people that chiefs, you know, the, the old salty chiefs, chief officers are, uh, are kind of like suck it up buttercup. Like we've been there, you got to do it. And that's not what I'm finding, right? The, it actually is the opposite there. They understand the longer they've been on they're they fall into this organic psychology, uh, category where they're understanding that some of these external variables, and, and internal chemical imbalances can be causing these behavioral health problems. So it's, it's almost more like I've been there. I know what you're going through. Mm. I've, I'm, you know, they're associating themselves to the issue. And then the third and the most significant, uh, more, most powerful correlation that, that we found was, um, chief officers that have, uh, a higher level of education and it was a progressive uh, attribution. So the more the education, the more powerful this connection was that uh, they moved away from social, uh, the social and economic uh, psychological subscale, which is a lay theory. Lay theory meaning it's not really founded in science hmm. or evidence-based. You know, I'm not a psychologist, so any opinion I have, I'm it's just a lay opinion. I'm not basing it off of, you know, research. So these chief officers that are basing their opinion around firefighter behavioral health problems uh, in this lay category are the least educated. And as education goes up, they actually move away from that, which is, you know, you would assume kind of an obvious thing, but but we can show it statistically that education has an impact on how chief officers make decisions, especially around this topic. So the higher the level of education, the more logical and analytical their decisions will become. And then the fourth that had zero connection, that fourth career factor that, uh, that had zero connection to anything was fire department budget. So I call that out because 
usually the first thing I hear from a lot of chief officers around firefighter behavioral health. Yeah, we don't have the money. Yeah, we just can't afford it. Yeah. We just can't do it. And so I'm like, well, well that's interesting that you're the anomaly because right. I, in my research, that's, that doesn't impact the yeah. circumstance. Now, don't get me wrong. Well, budgets impact. So you can, yeah. you can say, yeah, there's, yeah, there's but limited budgets, Monday. budgets Monday. are about prioritization. Bingo. And we, when we determine what's important to us as an organization, you yeah, know, you build your budget around that. Yeah. And if it's, if you don't understand it, if you don't have the education, if you don't have the, uh, seniority and, yeah. the, and the empathy, yeah. right. And then your only line is, well, I don't got the money for that. Yeah. Could you, yeah. So how I, how I drew all this together is I created, I took, I couldn't land on a theoretical model. So I actually took three foundational models theories and created my own theoretical uh model so i took lay theory to evaluate folks that are not practitioners or clinicians um social cognitive theory it says your experiences have an impact on on your opinion and then attribution theory which is means that you you come up with these opinions of other people you attribute their circumstance in your mind. So, uh, created the, it, I call it the L scat model and it, uh, it's actually, I'm, I've used it in a few other, um, situations and articles and it, it really applies to, to our folks and leaders in the fire service making decisions and not just in the fire service, but really any, any leader managing people. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool, man. I was going to ask you what keeps you up at night, but now I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this. Yeah. The, uh, you know, like I said earlier, you know, the, they, there's this, uh, people say the fire service is more than a job, right? It's calling and it's, but it really is. And it, it's bigger than just, you can have it just be your source of income, mm-hmm. but it is so much deeper than that. And if you are willing to, to go to that level with the, the fire service, it's, it's incredible what the relationships you can, you know, create and have. And, and like I said, this is a, the fire service is a, a family to me. So that's what keeps me up at night is making sure that we're doing what we, we need to do for our people so that they can take care of our customers. Yeah, that's great. That was a, it was funny for me. I had a, a young firefighter ask me one day, like, you know, do you miss being on the rig? Do you miss, you know, connecting yeah. with the customers and you know whatever and, and i was like you know yeah there's some days when you know yeah i just want to throw my gear on and run in and yeah. you know, kick doors and yeah. drag hose and but i also recognize that um i get to serve the customer vicariously through absolutely all these different people yeah and yep. so you know you need somebody who cares mm-hmm. who's willing to provide support services who's willing to totally. provide the planning and development who's willing to provide you know support in the alarm room so that you on the front line you know can get the work done that needs to be done yep and um you know and i even think that you need those people who are interested in doing research who are working for you well who are you know who are doing that kind of uh other work mm-hmm. to contribute to the body of knowledge i remember when i first found out about fire dynamics um and i realized that FDNY and LA City have been doing this research for 10 years before yeah. I saw it. Right. And I'm like, dang on it. Where yeah. the hell were we 10 years ago? Right. Right. And and that it just it just 
there's people that come before us and they do this work and our job is to just continue to drive it forward mm-hmm. and pick it up and say, okay, what do we know now? And yeah. what, what can, what are we missing? Yeah. And just keep on go, going forward. Yeah. And you know, and I, if you want to be a backseat firefighter and that's all you want to do, that's yeah. awesome. Sure. We need those yeah, guys. Absolutely. You need that senior, uh, seasoned veteran mm-hmm. in the backseat. Um, but you also need those folks who are willing to go out and do this other work. Yeah. Right. To contribute to the entire net, the entire ecosystem. Yep. No, you're, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's interesting too, because we do ourselves a disservice. I call it my imposter syndrome. You know, I'm a multiple times in a doctoral program. I'd talk with in class and I'd be like, well, I'm just the firefighter in the room. And people would always be like, stop saying that. (laughs) And, uh, but we do that yeah, just yeah. almost, I think more as a, as a guarding mechanism, yeah, but totally, but the, um, I'm working with a guy who's finishing his dissertation right now. He's a retired chief. And he, he told me, he's like, I actually found research that shows that firefighters are at least one standard deviation more intelligent than the general population. And I went, I know that, right? Like, <laughs> uh, it's amazing how the, the firefighters, you know, they can, um, operate so well under so much stress wow. and, and, and not, not bad an eye. And, and also then go back to the fire station and look up, you know, statute or, or medical documents and they yeah. do their own research. Yep. And, you know, one thing when I talk about wanting to professionalize the profession and, and how important the formal higher education really is, is yeah. it, it does, you don't have to have it, but it really does do a lot for our our industry. Yeah. And in my position, it's opened doors and given me opportunities to, to do other things, to continue to advance our industry and, and improve what we do. Right. Oh, that's great, man. Well, so let's talk about that for a second. So you've, you went down this path. Yeah. Now you're a deputy chief and you're a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What are you know what doors have that has that opened for you along the way yeah so the i'll i gotta address something first the first like six months that i had my doctorate every single time people would come up and be like so is it dr chief or chief doctor you know (laughs) and it it was that ongoing joke and uh i said well chief doctor sounds like the head of surgery and that is not me (laughs) you don't want that and uh I said, so uh, yeah, it, it's Dr. Chief, right? And so uh, as, a, as that kind of went on as a joke, I, I, uh, I started getting into more uh, speaking, right? So that's one of the opportunities that opened up. But I was working with a mentor in this, in this public speaking world, and I was kind of telling her my story. And she's like, so th- people call you Dr. Chief? I'm like, well, not seriously. She's like, no, that's, that's, that's it. That's, you got to own that. And so I've, I've, I've owned it. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. That's your, uh, that's your Instagram. And that's my, handle. yeah. Yeah. It's Dr. Chief Nixon. And so I've had people come to me and they're like, Hey bro, that's kind of, you know, arrogant. I'm like, it's a joke. It's not, but it's, right. but it's cool. It's, it's something that you work hard for and you get. And, um, and it, like I said, it has opened some doors and, uh, people who wouldn't normally look to the fire service mm. for, you know, just because they're not aware, they don't know what we do and, and what our capabilities really are. They're like, Oh wow, you're, you're, you have a doctorate and you're a chief. And what does that mean in the fire service? And what does that mean? Right. To what you do. So 
it started some really good conversations and, and allowed uh, me to jump into other avenues. So I, I teach, I speak, uh, I travel uh, around Arizona and, and the region, even the United States, and talk about ethics, leadership, and, and wellness. So I, uh, I've taught ethics in the fire service for, for years. You know, my degrees in leadership, it's something I really nerd out on and just really uh, focus a lot of time and energy in because leadership is it's just motivating and influencing, you know, people and, uh, and you can be really bad at it, right? We have, we have some folks that, um, in, in, in any leadership role where it's like, that's, you're, you're managing and not, not well, right? We, there's a difference between leadership and management. And I I like to think that leadership is a, we, we all, we all, there's different ways that we look at this, right? I think a lot of folks will be like, oh, I'm, I am the organizational leader. I'm in position, so therefore yeah. I am the leader. But I, but it's much more deliberate than that. Yes. Or, or it needs to be more deliberate than that. And, uh, you know, I hear people say that, well, I'm a servant leader. And I go, stop. Unpack that for yeah, a minute. buzzword. What do you think that means? Yeah, right. And, um, you know, when you ask, you know, in all these processes, we ask people to tell, to label their leadership style. Sure. And I'm like, you know, leadership is much more, and this is the world according to Rain. Okay. Leadership is way more complex than that. My job is to be flexible and to mm-hmm. provide the leadership that you need. Yeah. Right? That that Bob needs, that Sally yeah. needs, that Jim needs, whatever. It's to to see you where you are and figure out what you what support you need, yep. what what ed, what education, what connection, sure. what relationship you need yeah. to be successful. Yep. And then to foster that and to lead you. Yeah. Right? That's and you're Yes, that's perfect. That's adaptive leadership. That's it that, does have a name. It does have a name. Yes, it does. And that's uh, uh, that's perfect because every every person you interact with has their own set of needs. And lead. I I say I say this a lot. Action or uh, sorry, leadership is an action word. It's a verb. Yeah. It's yes. you because when you're leading people, you're you're getting a group of, of folks together to understand your expectations and and the mission and the vision and then move. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get everybody in a circle and talk about stuff, but that's not how it works in our world. You know, even in business and any leadership, it it's about influencing people to do things, to, mm-hmm. to move, and hopefully in the direction you need them to go. So, yeah, meeting meeting. A, everyone's needs on the team on the crew is uh is a part of that and i'm going to dive into something real quick because this this i talk about this a lot that what you're talking about is is leadership at its core which is based on in trust Mm -hmm. so uh stephen covey wrote a book the speed of trust it's phenomenal i love love that book but he he breaks down um trust in in different ways that People will act. They will support you if they trust you. So that's that's the speed that your business will work in, your fire department, that you will move very quickly if there's high levels of trust. Yes. And you can go through a lot of really hard things very easily if there's high levels of trust. And the opposite's true. You will struggle very much if you don't have high levels of trust. So when I talk about trust, I, I break it into three tiers. Trust is based on relationships. And you you have to have these 
mutual uh, relationships that are, are, you know, respected. And then how you get there is by through care. You have to care first about yourself and then about your people. And that creates this respect that you can build relationships around. And then those relationships turn into that trust that, but without, uh, without respect, you can't trust Mm -hmm. and without care, you will not respect. So it all boils down to care. Like what you just described is listening to your people, identifying what their needs are and then helping them meet those needs, not doing it for them, but with them. Right. Right. So, you know, it's so in the fire service, we all work in what I, what are termed high reliability work groups. Mm -hmm. Right. And what that means is that if somebody doesn't do their part of the job, right. Somebody gets hurt, killed or injured. Right. It's problematic. You all have to do your part. And we see these in surgical teams, mm-hmm. right? Where if the doctor doesn't do his part or the, the med tech doesn't do their part, right. a sponge gets left inside someone's yeah. guts, right. right? Like you have to do your part, you know, flight crews, yeah. crew resource management, et cetera, yep. right? Yep. So in our biz, it, that same thing, the reason why it's so, it's so important that we are connected, that we build trust. And part of our weird cultural stuff that we do, right? Hey, Booter can't sit in the strato until they've <laughs> right, got, or right. come off probation <clears throat> because they're earning their way into sure. the clutch, sure. right? And until I had a captain who didn't talk to me until we had it, like when I was Booter, <laughs> yeah. didn't say a word to me for like the first month until we had our first blow and fire together. Okay. And then he walks out, puts his arm around my shoulder. Now, I don't. I don't condone that behavior. I think it's poor, but I understand what he was doing, Mm -hmm. which was my senior firefighter is going to take care of you. Sure. And I won't let you into my circle of trust until you earn your way in. Gotcha. Now, I think there's more appropriate ways to do that. I think you leverage training. Yeah. You leverage time around the kitchen table. You you know, you go out and you do activity, PT together, you cook together. Sure. You do activities to build connection and to create trust. Mm -hmm. Um, but that that is foundational to the function. Yeah, high functioning work groups have high levels of trust, which speaks right to what you're talking yep, about. Absolutely, and and for for me and and what I tried to convey is that again, it's in that one month period of time. I'm sure that you were you were constantly wondering what you weren't doing correctly. What you know what was. Uh, what were those expectations and, and, and does this guy care about me or not? Right. Um, and I'm not saying or advocating for, you know, um, the, the take a plug, get a hug kind of world, but, but (laughs) that needs to be a t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I didn't coin that. That's, that's out there for sure. But the, what I'm saying is you, you have to communicate, you have to listen, you have to, if you want to get something good out of your people you have to kind of put something out there too right and sometimes you got as a leader you got to do it first and you know it sounds like you know the situation you were in definitely had its own dynamic and the senior firefighter was was doing that was fulfilling that role Mm -hmm. and and giving you that attention and that care and that uh what you needed right so that then the the company officer so let's yeah this this is working you mentioned the take a plug get a hug like 
there doesn't need, and I know that's this idea that you know we need you know, we need to be hard on folks. We need to, we need to cultivate a, no. a hardcore attitude. Yeah. However, I, and I do appreciate like this idea that every single thing you do, you get rewarded. You know, here's a cookie. It, yeah, I get it. Not, I get it. That's not what we're talking no, about. Yeah. But but investing in people sure. is not the same thing. You show your care. You show that young firefighter that you care yeah. by taking them out and training them. Absolutely. And saying, I want you to be a good firefighter. Sure. So come walk the truck with me. We're gonna you're gonna invest time in them. Yep. They, you don't have to put your arm around their shoulder. No. You just you just have to invest in them. Right. Now they know you care. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like this weird thing yeah. where it's an awkward, like, you know, deep conversation at the beginning of every shift. No, it's right. But it can be a lot of things. And you know, dedicating and being disciplined with the schedule and the time of, of taking care of each other, you know, with PT right. and like you said, training. Right. And one thing that I, I talk about, you know, is you have to care for yourself first so that you can then care for other people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is so important in our, our industry because you and I are the product of who came before us, right? The people in the next generation of the fire service, they're watching, they're learning. So if we don't make the important things a priority and we're not disciplined with our time, they're, they're learning. So when we're here talking about wellness and behavioral health and you know, all of the, th- the things that we're exposed to, whether it's you know, cardiac or cancer or just uh, our behavioral health and mental health, they're watching. So we have to make these things a priority. We actually have to do these things and, and improve our own health and be aware and paying attention. So that then they do. So, you know, it's uh, it's a different fire service, but but it's generational, and this isn't this isn't new to us, right? We've been doing right. this for hundreds of years, and every generation says, "Oh, this next generation is going to screw it all up," and and that's not the case. You know, we we're doing great, and I think that I'm excited for the future and for that next group of people coming up because they are absorbing information in a different way. Mm. They're, um, they, they find value in different things yeah. and it's, it's going to be better yeah. for the fire service as a yeah. whole. Well, before we, so before we hit record, we were talking a little bit yeah. about the, um, the challenges that the fire service is experiencing with recruitment mm-hmm. and retention. Yeah. And you know, so what's your perspective on what we do with that? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I'm not going to be able I'm to asking solve you, that. I mean, I know I'm asking you yeah. a really heavy, uh, that's yeah, a that, loaded question. That is the problem. I think one of the, the biggest issues that we're dealing with right now in the fire service and, and just public safety in general, um, it's tough. I, I will say this, that the, the last, uh, several months ago we did a new hire orientation. We hired probably 12 folks and we, we were discussing what, um, why these folks were in, uh, you know, attracted to the fire service. Mm-hmm. Well, what got them interested? Yeah. So we went around the room and, and asked that question. And almost every single one of them said, you know, I, I just, I played sports or I didn't play sports. I, I want to be part of a team. Almost every answer in some way or another was that these folks wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than them. Mm-hmm. And we we have to connect with that. You know, the, our generation or the generation before us was, uh, you had a lot of trade workers that were coming in and, 
and they knew building construction they knew that hard work they knew how to do you know that mechanical aptitude was just next level um and that that's still what we're getting to some extent but a lot of the younger firefighters that are coming in now they don't they haven't had that opportunity for that work experience yet and that we shouldn't hold that against them you know if we're not happy with uh the folks not knowing how to start a chainsaw we can't <laughs> condemn them right we need to show them how to start a chainsaw right so right. Um, hey somebody somebody taught me how to flood start a saw at some point in my life sure. yeah. I didn't show up on the job yeah. you know just having all these skills exactly you know, in my head so we need to pay attention to that like, mm-hmm. and not like I said, condemn our people, eat our young before we even have, they even have a chance to be successful. So, um, right. So I think when we're talking about recruitment, we need to, we really need to get out there and see, because there's, uh, there's a lot of really great candidates that are, that are out there that we just need to get to them because, um, what was appealing to about the fire service, you know, 20 years ago is different today. Mm -hmm. So, we need to figure out how to how to get those folks, and really, I think it's a matter of just getting out, having those conversations, and and conveying to all of the future candidates why we love it so much. Like, tell our story, right? Well, it, you're absolutely right. I think that there's a lot of. I just read a paper uh, recently that from the National Fire Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I believe the author's name was Heather Marquise. And I'm probably butchering her last name. Anyways, she she did a great paper talking okay. about women in the fire service. Yeah, and you know we've had you know f- fifty years of of you know kind of women in the career sure. service. Yeah, and yet our percentage of women in the fire service is like below five percent. Yes, and so you go, man, what is it about this job, right? That that women don't find appealing, right? Is it because mm-hmm. women aren't showing up? Or are there barriers to the entry? Yeah. Are there barriers to in the structure? Yeah. And I think, you know, when I first came on the job, I worked out in Sun City West, Europe, yeah. and we had at Station 101, we had an open bay, mm-hmm. our open uh, dorm, room. Yeah. open bunk room. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. that's it. And, and I look back and go, okay, there's an example sure. of how that is not a, a comfortable environment for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Right? And so it's things like that that are structural that yep. women look across the thing and they go, eh, that, that job's not that attractive to me, right. right? Because of that. Now, if we all agree, hey, we want diversity of our workforce, we want to include more people, Sure, we really have to step outside of our current little paradigm yeah. and say, what is preventing these people from showing up here, Yeah, right? We've done some things with the CPAT to, to or, you know, we've institutionalized the CPAT to yep. try to validate yep. the assessment. We... You know, uh, some you know brand new fire stations having more inclusive environments, yep. single use bathrooms, yep. you know that type of stuff where you're creating space where everybody can feel comfortable. Absolutely, you yeah. know, <clears throat> we need to we need to destigmatize some of the things like uh, pregnancy mm-hmm. and yeah. maternity leave, paternity leave, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's lots of things that we can do that that changes this. But I think about the the we're in a position, mm-hmm. you and I, and and, uh, and our peers, and in this generation of firefighters Mm -hmm. to start making changes in our culture that are healthy for the communities that we serve. Right. 
it's I believe that it's good for the communities we serve to have a variety, a diverse group of firefighters. Yes, who serve their community. Absolutely. You know, and I was talking to a gentleman who's a Sedona fire chief, and he was like, "If we had representation from our community, <laughs> it'd be a bunch of rich old white folks." <laughs> and I'm like, "Right, I get it." Yeah. So it's not it's necessarily not, yeah. your community, right. but society. Yes. Right. Yeah. Larger, bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. Right? So yeah, I know I, I totally agree. And, and that, that is our, one of our biggest strengths in the fire service is our diversity. Because if, if you had a, a four or six person crew of Kane Nixons, nothing would get done. We'd just sit around and talk about stuff all day long, right? Like we, and we should research this and, or we just spend too much time, you know, working out. Theorizing. And, yeah. And one of uh, that's one of our biggest strengths is yeah. that you can get four, six, eight people yeah. under one roof with a common mission from completely different backgrounds. Yeah. And, but we appreciate each other. We respect each other and we understand the mission that is customer service and, and holding ourselves to the highest level of excellence that we can. That's, that should be the expectation to execute that mission yeah and uh but yeah if you just have a you know a single prototype of a firefighter it's just not going you're just not going to accomplish that goal very well and the the customers are going to suffer yes 100 percent. yeah yeah i'll give you a funny example of that it's a silly example but i was captain on a on engine 12 and i won't say any names but we had a little fire in the backyard barbecue fire and my crew blew through a fence Took out multiple planks yeah. to get a hose line to the back and uh, put this little barbecue out. Yeah. So we did some destruction. So afterwards, I go, hey, let's run to Home Depot. Yeah. Let's get some stuff to fix this fence. Well, one of my firefighters is a carpenter. Mm-hmm. He was like, I got it. Yeah. And so we got we pooled our $20 together. Sure. And we bought a plank and some screws. And he fixed that fence up like, like yeah. it had never been broken. Right. And that was just we were able to provide that service because one of the guys on our crew had that capacity absolutely and it was fantastic yeah and that's just a tiny little example but that that transcends you know i've seen customers who had where a woman comes in on the crew mm-hmm. and the customer's like oh i feel i feel at ease because yeah. i can talk to sure. a woman to woman sure right and that's yep. that diversity adds value so it's it, there's so many different examples we could point to but yeah. it really does strengthen our capacity. Yeah. Well, and we're not, we're all dealing with what we're dealing with too. So there's, we're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. And that's the other good thing about having a, a diverse group of people working together that they care for each other is that if I'm having a bad day, I know somebody's going to step in on that, that patient interview. If I'm not able to do it very well, yep. um, there's just so much strength in, yeah. in that, what we, we, can offer yeah. with a diverse group of people. Yeah. Hey, so I want to circle back on one thing you mentioned earlier. You said you like you you lecture on ethics, mm-hmm. and I want to touch on that for a minute. So, yeah. what when you think about ethics yeah. in the fire service, what's the what's the thrust of what comes to your mind? Yeah. So what I <clears throat> what I give talks on is about ethical decision making and what is the process of uh, poor decision making. And how do, how do we get there? Right. And I, I always draw on like the headline test. We, uh, uh, chief Greg Reese from Tempe, he, uh, he taught my first fire service ethics class, uh, a long time ago. And now, uh, now I get to kind of carry that torch and do it. But, um, 
if you just Google firefighter arrested right now, you, it's not like you're going to get something from four years ago. You will. But you know how Google says like in 0.2789 seconds, we found, you know, 12,000 results. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of really just stupid, bad decisions getting made by people who um, have the public trust and are, are compromising our public's trust for their own gratification and and how how they get there is what i talk about so uh the normalization of deviance essentially mm-hmm. is what i get into so you know one uh and also that you know actions don't just start it, it, everything starts with a thought in your mind thoughts turn into words words turn into actions actions turn into habits and those habits become your character and your your essentially your legacy, who, what you're known as, the that that one bad thought or one poor decision, then evolves into more and more and more. Because I say this a lot, talking with company officers and chief officers. If, if you permit it, you promote it, right? What you allow to happen in your presence and not address, if it's you know a bad thing, you just now lowered the bar. Yeah, I always say if you condone it, you own it. Yeah, love that. Yeah. I mean, you should. You will. <laughs> yeah. You will yeah, own it. Yeah. And uh, so so don't tolerate it. Don't do – don't allow it. You know, again, I was talking about the standard of excellence. We we should have a high standard or expectation of ourselves and yeah. our peers, our people. Yeah. Um, because of that public trust. So uh, what, what I really focus on and talk about is – the, the process of, of making good decisions and, and how some people make bad decisions and how we we just need to be more aware because sometimes those little things, if we opt not to nip it in the bud, it will evolve or devolve into, you know, worse decisions and mm-hmm. and it has consequences on our folks uh, and then on our, our departments and on our communities. So the... Uh, yeah, the the conversation around ethics is what what I give is is more uh, around decision making. So oh, I love that. Well, I like the I think to oftentimes about every level in the organization, and you know, firefighters are like, well, you know, I'm not in charge. I'm not the I'm not the boss, but you have the ability to lead yeah. from where you are. Totally, and that is that leadership can be as simple as I will follow good ethical decision-making. Yes. I'm going to follow the golden rule, right? Or yep. whatever you want to, however you want to label it, but I will do the right thing mm-hmm. regardless of whether anyone's looking and whether I'm the boss or not, right. I will set an example and, and be on the right track. Yep. Um, and I think that's a, people need to remember that and be reminded of that, yep. you know, frequently. Um, well, Hey, let me, let me ask you some rapid fire questions. Let's do we'll, it. We'll pull it to a close. What are, What's something you believe that other people think is crazy or ridiculous? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that's a tough one. Can we come back to that one? Okay. We'll uh, that's back. not rapid fire, but that is a, <laughs> that's a deep one. What, we'll do circle I, back. what do I believe that other people think is ridiculous? Yeah. Um, Take your time. I'll edit the silence down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Oh boy. You know, I, so I, a, a lot of the times people 
say um, that I take things too personally in the fire service, and I do. And I, the re, and a lot of people are like Kane, like this is not that big of a deal. I'm like, no, it's a big deal because this has you know far-reaching consequences. And like I said earlier, these this fire service is is you know i take a lot of ownership in it i say this is my fire service all the time like don't don't mess it up right we need to take things personally sometimes because um because of the the outcomes that that could could be if we don't take things seriously so so sometimes people accuse me of taking things too personally that might not be the best answer but that's that's something that i definitely uh people are like dude like you're nuts just it isn't that big of a deal. I'm like, no, this this could be a big deal. We need to pay attention. So, I love it. Yeah. All right. What's one horrible piece of advice that you've heard given? Um, take a break. I I've had a lot of people tell me to, man, when are you gonna slow down? Like, when are you gonna, like, just take a break? And that for my my story earlier about me not getting a, a doctorate or not going after it right away. Um, I had people telling me that like, Oh dude, you need, you need to take a break. And it was like, well, uh, I, that is an option, but as long as I'm managing myself and my, you know, my self care and I'm at a good place and my family, you know, is, is supporting me, I'm going to do everything I possibly can as fast and as, you know, I do as much as you can. So, um, I've had people tell me to slow down and, uh, I, I disagree with that philosophy. That makes them comfortable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. It does. And it, so when I was testing, I was a three year firefighter with my agency. I had other experience outside of the state. Right. And, uh, I had like three and a half years on it and the opportunity to test for engineer came up and I'm like, Oh, I'm in, like, I want to do this. And I had uh, a senior firefighter come to me and he's like, Hey man, you need to wait your turn and slow down. You, you know, you're not a, you don't know everything about firefighting yet. And I'm like, well, can you tell me when I'll know everything about firefighting? <laughs> right? Like, what does that look like? And do you know everything there is to know about firefighting? And if you do, will you tell me, right? Help, help me. And really what it was is, um, he, that person just didn't want competition and, I love competition. Not that's not an arrogant statement. I just love to compete because I'm making myself better. So, yeah, I that was bad advice. So, what's the converse? What's the best advice you've ever received? The converse, I would say, is don't do um, you know, do everything you want to do. You tackle everything that you want to tackle. If and if that means taking a year off to spend time with your family and focus on yourself and focus on your career, then do that. Um, but I guess ultimately what it comes down to is just you need to know who you are and what you need and then do that. Um, you know, if, if you need a break then and you know you need a break, you need to take a break. If you know you can tackle a, a master's degree in one year, then go get it. Um you know, the, I've had really great people in my life and very supportive people. And they've always encouraged me to, to tackle whatever I wanted to go after. And, um, that's, that's that advice that 
believe in yourself that you can you can knock out whatever you want to knock out. Right on. So the this podcast is called the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Yes. So what does it mean to you to be fireground fit? Yeah, so um I love that question because I say this uh, to folks quite a bit because uh, I so I teach at Glendale Community College and I I teach at NAU also, but uh, in the fitness world at GCC, I whether I'm talking to firefighters that are on the job or those that want the job, I always say, would you want you rescuing you? And and that's kind of a gut check question. It should be if you get off the. If you saw yourself getting off the truck to come help you or your family, would you be uh, content and at ease or would you be concerned? And really, that's what it comes down to. We exist in this role to provide services to, the, to our customers, to the public. And the expectation is that we do it well. And part of that is, is preparation and our fitness. And not just, um, you know, our physical fitness, but our mental fitness, our spiritual fitness. Um, I talk a lot about financial fitness, you know, the, the, uh, components of wellness to me are your, your mind, your body, your spirit, and your environment. And you need to have fitness in all of them and be ready to act in, in each one of those, those areas. I love it. Right on. Well, Dr. Chief Kane Nixon, Brother, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for for sitting down with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. Hey, folks, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are digging this podcast, get on over to whatever platform it is you like listening to podcasts on and subscribe. This podcast will drop in the middle of the night. And further, if you're digging the podcast, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. That draws other people in. It also shares feedback etc. Now, take the lessons you've learned here today. Go on out. Figure out how you can pull them into your life and operationalize them. And more importantly, just go on out there and get some. <laughs>